Welcome to the Positive Spiritual Living Podcast, brought to you by Unity on the Bay. This is your positive path for spiritual living. You know, um, I was thinking the other day um, about how many years it's been that I have shared at least almost every Christmas the story of Rudolph. And you might think it's a little obsessive of me to do so because I do it almost every year. But the reason I do it is because I believe this story really captures the essence of the Christmas spirit in ways that you may not notice completely. Because it's such a simple tale. And it was written by a simple man named Robert L. May. He happened to work for a company called Montgomery Ward. And I don't know how many people are chronologically mature enough in the room today to remember Montgomery Ward but he was a graphic artist and one of his assignments back in the 1940s was to create a cartoon character and a coloring book that could be distributed to all the Montgomery Ward department store customers for the holiday season Robert L. May who had lived a very trying life himself and been subject to a great deal of bullying when he was a youngster wrote Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. As time went on, Robert continued to experience many challenges. And because he worked for Montgomery Ward at the time that he created the story, the copyright belonged to Montgomery Ward. And it was during one of his most challenging times, just following the loss of his dear wife of many years, that he was particularly financially stricken. And the president of Montgomery Ward at that time decided to bestow the copyright upon Robert L. May. So he lived the rest of his life in prosperity and abundance and shared this story with literally millions. How many of you know it by heart? And how many of you love it? Well, today I hope we have the opportunity to explore it at a still deeper level. Will you join me in welcoming some guests to the platform this morning? And those would be the children of Unity on the Bay because we're going to have a little story time. And what do you know? The story that I'm going to share with you, just have a seat wherever you like. The story that I'm going to share with you requires a prop. And the props are all in this bag right here. So I will invite each of you. Oh, you already have one. (laughs) Beat me to it. There you go. See, did you get one? All right, you got your props. And you know where it belongs? Let's have a story time. Now, to all of you in the room this morning. All right, Myra. I want you to listen to this story very carefully, my friends. Because like every story that you will ever hear in your life, this is not about a reindeer. This story is about you. "'Twas the day before Christmas, and all through the hills the reindeer were playing, enjoying their spills, while every so often they'd stop to call names at one little deer not allowed in their games. "'Ha, ha, look at Rudolph. His nose is a sight. It's as red as a beet, twice as big, twice as bright.'" While Rudolph just cried, what else could he do? He knew that the things they were saying were true. Where most reindeer's noses are brownish and tiny, poor Rudolph's was red, very large, and 
quite shiny. In daylight, it sparkled. The picture shows that. At nighttime, it glowed like the eyes of a cat. While way, way up north on this same foggy night, old Santa was packing his sleigh for its flight. This fog, he called out, will be hard to get through. He shook his round head and his tummy shook too. Without any stars or a moon as a compass, this extra dark night is quite likely to swamp us. To keep us from a smash-up, we'll have to fly slow. To see where we're going, we'll have to fly low. We'll steer by the street lamps and houses tonight in order to finish before it gets light. Just think how the boys' and girls' hopes would be shaken if we didn't reach them before they awaken. Come, Dasher, come, Dancer, come, Prancer, come, Vixen, come, Comet, come, Cupid, come, Donner, and Blitzen. Be quick with your suppers. Get hitched in a hurry. You, too, will find fog a delay and a worry. The night was still foggy and not at all clear when Santa arrived at the home of the deer. Onto the roof with the clouds all around it, he searched for the chimney and finally found it. The room he came down in was blacker than ink. He went for a chair, but it turned out a sink. The first reindeer bedroom was so very black, he tripped on the rug and burst open his pack. So dark that he had to move close to the bed and peek very hard at the sleeping deer's head. Before he could choose the right kind of toy, a doll for a girl or a train for a boy. But all this took time, and Santa was filled with gloom while feeling his way toward the next reindeer's room. The door he'd just opened when, to his surprise, a soft, glowing, red-colored light met his eyes. The lamp wasn't burning. The light came instead from something that lay at the head of the bed. And there lay. But wait now, what could you suppose? The glowing, you guessed it, of Rudolph's red nose. So this room was easy. This one little light let Santa pick quickly the gifts that were right. How happy he was when he went to the door. The rest of the house was still black as before. So black that it made every step a dark mystery. And then came the greatest idea in all history. He went back to Rudolph and started to shake him, of course very gently in order to wake him. And Rudolph could hardly believe his own eyes. You just can't imagine his joy and surprise at seeing who stood there a pause length away and told of the darkness and fog and delay and Santa's great worry that children might waken before his complete Christmas trip had been taken. And you, he told Rudolph, may yet save the day. Your bright, shining nose, son, can show us the way. I need you, young fellow, to help me tonight, to lead all my deer on the rest of our flight. And Rudolph broke out into such a big grin, it almost connected his ears to his chin. He scribbled a note to his folks in a hurry. I've gone to help Santa, he wrote. Do not worry, said Santa. Meet me at my sleigh on the lawn. You'd stick in the chimney. And flash, he was gone. So Rudolph pranced out the door very gay and took his proud place at the head of the sleigh. The rest of the night, well, what would you guess? Old Santa's idea was a brilliant success. And brilliant was almost no word for the way that Rudolph directed the deer and the sleigh. In spite of the fog, they flew quickly and low and made such good use of the wonderful glow that shone out from Rudolph at each intersection that not once did they ever lose their direction. 
The sun woke the reindeer in Rudolph's hometown. They found the short message that he'd written down, then gathered outside to await his return. And were they surprised and excited to learn that Rudolph, the ugliest deer of them all, Rudolph, the red-nosed, bashful and small, the funny-faced fellow they always called names and practically never allowed in their games, was now to be envied by all far and near for no greater honor can come to a deer than riding with Santa and guiding his sleigh the number one job on the number one day. The sleigh and its reindeers soon came into view, and Rudolph still led them as downward they flew. Oh my, he was proud as they came to a landing right where his handsomer playmates were standing. The same deer who used to do nothing but tease him would now have done anything only to please him. They felt even sorrier that they had been bad. When Santa said, Rudolph, I never have had a deer quite so brave or as brilliant as you at fighting back fog and steering me through. By you, last night's journey was actually blessed. Without you, I'm certain we'd all have been lost. I hope you'll continue to keep us from grief on future dark trips as Commander-in-Chief. While Rudolph just blushed from his head to his toes till all of his fur was as red as his nose. The crowd clapped their applause and then started to screech, Hooray for Rudolph! We want a speech! But Rudolph, still bashful despite being a hero, was tired. His sleep on the trip totaled zero. So that's why his speech was quite short and not bright. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. And that's why whenever it's foggy and gray, it's Rudolph the Red Nose who guides his sleigh. <laughs> be listening this Christmas, but don't make a peep because that late night children should be asleep. The very first sound that you'll hear on the roof that is, if there's fog, will be Rudolph's small hoof. And soon after that, you're still as a mouse. You may hear a swish as he flies around the house and shines enough light to give Santa a view of you in your room. And when they're all through, you may hear them call as they drive out of sight. Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Now, this is very symbolic because quite often in life, people will hand you a lot of red noses and you will not think you know what to do with them. But you handled that very well. <laughs> Let's hear the classic song from our kids. Such a hair, I love it.
I think I probably could go on record as having the world's longest midlife crisis. It started in 1991 at the end of that year, and it continued until almost the year 2000. Pretty long midlife crisis, huh? And during that time, I was questioning everything about myself, my life, my philosophy, my understanding of what this experience we call life is about. And I came across the work of a great man, a psychologist and a spiritual teacher by the name of John Bradshaw. Anybody heard of the work of John Bradshaw? It's especially relevant when it comes to understanding the journey that we've all been through from the time we arrived on the planet, when we were small children. He says that every one of us, when we come into this life experience, we are given a gift by the world. And that gift is a large, hefty, brown Bag, Not unlike perhaps the bag you would expect to see tossed over Santa Claus's shoulder. But unfortunately, the contents of this bag can be frightening. You see, what John Bradshaw says is that as we move through life, we are inclined as children to naturally express ourselves into the world. But the world in response will oftentimes present us with pictures of rejection, pictures of being defective in some way. So the experiences that we have and the aspects of ourselves that we begin to discover as small children are either accepted by the world outside of us or they are denied. And for those that are denied out of our desire to be approved of, we stash them into this brown bag. Well, what happens in the depths of this brown bag is that these truly divine and beautiful aspects of ourselves become quite rusty and ugly and moldy and nasty. And we find ourselves getting into our 30s, maybe our 40s, possibly even into our 50s, and we're carrying around this huge, heavy bag of all of the aspects of ourselves that we have rejected through the course of our life. If we're lucky, we have this thing called a midlife crisis or whatever you choose to label it, in which the bag accidentally breaks itself open because of the weight and the level and degree of the contents, and it spills out all over the place in front of us. And it looks like hell. It does. Why? Because these aspects have been neglected. And the truly wise soul, when this experience takes place in their life, will begin to examine the content of this brown bag and take each aspect out, dust it off, and polish it up and begin to realize that even though it was rejected from a very early time in one's life, it is sacred and it is holy like everything else. So then the process begins of gradually accepting these hidden aspects of ourselves. We chuck these aspects into the bag over our shoulder in order to do one thing, my friends, conform. Conform. And the world around us places oftentimes great demands on us to conform. I looked the word up in the dictionary, and here it is. To conform is to be similar or the same as something, to obey or agree with something, to do what other people do, to behave in a way that is accepted by most people. Now, how many of you have conformed over the course of your life. And if you are gradually recognizing that you are a rebel of conformity, raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. That's why we're in a unity church, most of us, because we rebelled against this conditioning. We rebelled against being 
told that there were aspects of ourselves that were nasty, that were dirty, that were unworthy, that were undeserving, and so we stashed them away. And now what we're about is breaking free of this conformity. You see, the truth is, my friends, you and I, we are unique expressions of God. We are not, hear me on this, we are not a mass of identical duplications. And thank God for that. Right now, just say with me, thank you, God. Together, thank you, God, that we're all different. And until we're able to recognize our differences and really appreciate them, we're missing out on the, the treasure chest that life really has to offer us. It's a gold mine. When we stop fearing the differences of other people, when we stop trying to convince everybody that they should conform to the way we see things, because most of the way that we see things is the result of pressures that were placed upon us to conform. So the whole spiritual journey you see in the story of Jesus Christ, whose birthday we are celebrating, is the story of breaking free. It is the story of your liberation and my liberation. So to celebrate Jesus' birthday, the best thing we can do is celebrate his life. And let me tell you, there are a lot of pictures, literally and figuratively, that are painted about Jesus Christ. But I believe that Jesus was a total nonconformist and a social rebel. He had the courage to discover and express his unique self and not some carbon copy of a socially acceptable model that other people had convinced he should accept. He had the courage to express his unique self and there was nobody else like him. Well, guess what? There's nobody else like you. And the world will miss your unique production of life if you're busy trying to conform and match up to the ideals of the people that surround you instead of living out of the integrity of your own heart. Another thing that we often don't realize about Jesus is that he associated with outcasts, prostitutes, alcoholics, people who had trouble getting it right, people who had difficulty relating to social norms. He hung out, most definitely, my friends, with the wrong crowd. He was judged because of it, but nonetheless, he had the courage and stamina to stay with it. So Jesus is our example, my friends. He's the model of the authentic, unique, ideal human being that lives in every one of us. And Christmas is truly a celebration of your unique, not your conforming, but your unique expression of the Christ. So I have a question for you. Give this a little thought. What is your red nose? What is your red nose? What is that aspect of yourself that in some way you feel has made you defective? And I assure you, we all have them. Oftentimes, we're scared to death to look at them. What is it that you believe or have been convinced to believe is wrong with you? Now, you should have at least one to a couple dozen things in mind at this point. But in the event that you don't, or in the event that you believe you do not have a red nose, please allow me the honor of providing you one right now. As our ushers come forward, we have red noses for each and every one of you. And I want you to wear this nose with pride. <laughs> Remember, my friends, that the moment you are able to 
The moment that you are able to release the condemnation you have placed upon yourself and wear it with pride for all the world to see, you will discover that God will immediately begin the process of turning it into a blessing in your life. My friends, the things that you have been convinced are most disgusting about you are your greatest vices, are your greatest defects. That's the red nose. And the moment that you give your red nose over to God is the moment that you see that red nose, that problem, that defect transformed into your greatest quality. In fact, ironically and beautifully, God needs you to shine your nose in this world. God needs you to wear that defect, not in shame and guilt, but with pride. And you'll see it transformed. The only thing that has made it nasty and dirty is the fact that you have tucked it away in this bag behind you and refused to accept it as your own divine quality. There is a most interesting, if not perplexing, scripture in the book of Matthew when Jesus spoke these words in the 19th chapter, 20th verse. But many that are first will be last, and the last first. Do you remember that scripture? Kind of a strange scripture, isn't it? Let me tell you, my friends, you give the world, you give what the world has labeled your last to God and watch it turn into your first. It is imperative if you want to celebrate and follow in the path of Jesus Christ that you transform yourself by freeing yourself of your own condemnation. Um, you know... Last April, when I returned from New York City, I told you about a show that I went to see on Broadway, my first Broadway show. It was called Kinky Boots. And I felt a little awkward being a minister, walking into the theater to see Kinky Boots. But I told you that show totally transformed me in two hours. And then, of course, you know it's showing over at the Arch Center right now. And oh, I was debating, thinking, I just saw that in April. I don't need to see it again. It's not worth it. It would be a waste of money. But I went and did it anyway. And yesterday afternoon, I spent another two hours with the cast of Kinky Boots, and once again, they worked their way right into my heart and soul. If you don't know the story, it's a rather unusual one about a young fellow who is inheriting a shoe factory from his father who passes away. And the shoe factory is going down, 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 but fast. And all of a sudden, one day, he meets this lady whose name is Lola, also known as Simon. It's a lady in drag, and she needs the proper heels to be able to do her act and carry the weight of a full-grown man on them. So Charlie, the owner of this factory, decides to enter into this niche market, and he begins to create kinky boots. The love that Charlie and Lola come to share is a love that allowed them to set down all their self-imposed judgments and really create a relationship between themselves that had nothing to do with the fact that one of them was a man dressed as a woman, had nothing to do with the fact that one of them came from one background or another background. It was love. They began to see their differences and their similarities. And you see what happens when you stop focusing entirely upon the differences that we all share and start to look upon the commonalities. We're all 
spiritual beings having a human experience. And we're all finding ourselves and learning to love ourselves and in so doing, loving and accepting others. And the whole magnificent musical of Kinky Boots ends with Lola doing a tremendous finale in which she says these words. All right now, we've all heard of the 12-step program, have we not? Yes, but what you can do in 12, I want you to know that we all can do in six. And it goes like this. One, pursue the truth. Two, learn something new. Three, accept yourself and you'll accept others too. Four, let love shine. Five, let pride be your guide. Six, you change the world when you change your mind. Just be who you want to be. Never let them tell you what you ought to be. Just be with dignity. Celebrate your life triumphantly. You'll see it's beautiful. You, my friends, are beautiful. Don't let anybody or anything in this world convince you otherwise. You put on that red nose and you say, yep, it's all me. God bless you and Merry Christmas. yet because I've decided we got to do a selfie. <laughs> All right. Ready? <laughs> As our ushers come forward, thank you, Reverend Chris. Yes. We'll be, I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot of these as we move through the day now <laughs> <laughs> and around the campus. Um, we want to continue to enjoy this season of giving, and we remind you that Unity on the Bay is made possible through your love, through your gifts, through your love offerings, and your tithes. And as you are preparing your gifts and wrapping them up for your friends and your family, we also want to invite you to consider maybe putting a little extra in the uh, Unity on the Bay Christmas stocking. Uh, and so we're asking that you consider giving an end-of-the-year gift before the end of the year, um, and if you can, to do it today. So as you prepare your love offerings and your tithes, just remember that season of giving. Just remember the red nose. Just remember all the ways in which Unity on the Bay has supported, loved you, and brought you peace. And with that awareness, let us just take a moment to fill that tithing envelope our love offering with that energy. And now let us speak our love offering blessing together. Divine love through me blesses and multiplies all that I am, all that I have, all that I give and all that I receive, amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Positive Spiritual Living Podcast, brought to you by Unity on the Bay, a spiritual community located in Miami, Florida. Unity on the Bay is supported by the generosity of its community. If you'd like to make a donation or learn more about Unity on the Bay, please visit unityonthebay.org. You can also follow Unity on the Bay on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for even more positive spiritual inspiration. Until next time, thanks for listening and many blessings. Namaste.